appreciate everybody in the choir for singing out. That's good. That's good because it's a lot of fun to sing out to the Lord. And also it's good because that's going to help Jennings in recruiting more choir members. Because some of y'all were sitting out there thinking, man, I want to be part of something like that. <laughs> and if you were thinking that, good news, tonight would be a great time for you to come be part of singing out for the Lord. There's always an open spot on Singspiration Nights. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We are probably going to finish on up with chapter 7 today. We've kind of set up camp there for the last few weeks. And we are still kind of digging into uh, different uh, areas that have to do with marriage. That's really what Paul has been uh, focusing on throughout the last uh, few verses here, throughout all of chapter 7, and even a little bit so uh, in some of the chapters before this. But uh, we've kind of been hitting different aspects and areas of marriage pretty hard over the last few weeks, but we're all kind of shift gears and go in a little different direction uh, next week. But uh, today we will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 through 40. So we'll go ahead and uh, close out all of the rest of uh, the chapter here this morning. We'll read through the text, then we'll pray, and then we'll break it down. Verse 25. About virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I do give an opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Therefore, I consider this to be good because of the present distress. It is fine for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. However, if you do get married, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life. And I am trying to spare you. And I say this, brothers, the time is limited. So from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for this world in its current form is passing away. I want you to be without concerns. An unmarried man is unconcerned excuse me, an unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord so that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Now I am saying this to your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but because of what is proper and so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. But if any man thinks he is acting improperly toward his virgin, if she is past a marriageable age, and so it must be, he can do what he wants. He is not sinning. They can get married. But he who stands firm in his heart, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and has divided, excuse me, and has decided in his heart to keep his own virgin, will do well. So then he who marries his virgin does well, but he who does not marry will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband is living, 
But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to anyone she wants, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, in my opinion, and I think that I also have the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you help us to understand these verses today, kind of maybe some weird sounding stuff, kind of may not make sense to us, may sound contradictory, we may not understand what's going on, but God, help us to be able to clearly see what your word says. God, I pray that you would take away any pride that's in my heart. I pray that you would humble me and hide me behind the cross, God, that I would be able to preach and teach uh, in a way that's going to be beneficial for your people that are here today. And so, God, let us understand. We've, we've talked a lot about marriage, some tough stuff and, 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 and good stuff about marriage, dear Lord. But help us not to, not to miss your word today. Help us to understand what you're trying to tell us. And, and uh, God, just speak to our heart. Touch our heart. Let these words be good for us today. In Jesus' name, I pray it. Amen. All right, so these verses may kind of at first read through or at first glance may seem a little odd because there are some parts of these verses uh, which may seem a little contradictory to things that Paul has said up to this point as well as some things that we may see in other scripture. And so uh, we're going to look at and kind of break down and see if we can understand exactly what Paul is talking about uh, in the context of what he is writing and what's going on uh, with the people of Corinth. There had been many things that had taken place. There had been some, uh, some sexual immorality that had taken place in, in chapter 5 that we have seen. And then once we get to chapter 7, Paul is really dealing with uh, marriage. He's not saying that it's wrong to get married or that it's wrong to be single, but, but he's pointing out some strengths in these verses at least to singleness. He's pointing out some advantages to being single. But he is addressing them here, and at the very beginning uh, he gives this command, and he says, I have no command uh, from the Lord, but I do give an opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So he's saying, look, this is what I believe God has laid on my heart. I'm a trustworthy person. I have, I have preached to you guys. I have taught you guys uh, what is good. That's what Paul's telling the Corinthians here. And he's saying, I think this is good advice. This is just my opinion, but I think this is good advice uh, dealing with virgins. In verse 26, therefore I consider this to be good because of the present Distress. Now, I don't know what the present distress is that Paul is talking about here. Uh, depending on who you ask, you may get a couple of different uh, views there. Uh, one view may be the distress of Christians in that day. Early Christians were facing some difficult times, and it's possible that uh, Paul is talking about stresses in general. But I tend to believe that Paul may be talking about the distresses that he's talked about so far in chapter 7 and then back in chapter 5. There was some problem uh, going on with marriages. That is, perhaps people weren't taking marriages seriously enough and marriages were splitting up. Men were leaving their wives or vice versa. And so Paul has, has explained to them the importance of marriage in God's eyes. He has helped them to understand, look, if you need to be single, stay single. If you need to be married, get married. But if you do get married... It's a big deal, and you don't need to leave your spouse for any reason. You need to try to stick through that, if at all possible, except for in the case of sexual immorality. And so Paul has really kind of dealt with, with some different things that apparently were going on in Corinth, which is why he was writing this letter to them. Uh, and he says at the beginning of chapter 7, now in response to the matters you wrote about. So they had written to Paul about some things. They were seeking his advice, it would 
appear from the beginning of the chapter. And I think that when Paul says in verse 26 here, I consider this to be good because of the present distress, I believe that it is likely he's talking about the same type of things that were going on here. He's talking about issues that have to do with marriage and singleness uh, because he continues kind of in that same line of thought, uh, thought throughout the rest of chapter 7. He goes on to say, It is fine for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. However, if you do get married, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. Now, Paul, before he ever really goes into this stuff that may seem kind of weird, he starts off by saying, look, you need to stay how you are. It, it, it's good to remain as you are. If you are single then Paul is saying it's good to remain that way. If you are married, Paul says it's good to remain that way. He says you have not sinned. If you are single, you have not sinned. If you are married, you have not sinned. So he's pointing out to the people that, look, neither one is wrong. It would almost appear as though there's this kind of battle that's shaped up to seven versus marriage and singleness. Uh, which one is better than the other? But Paul continually points out on a couple of different occasions that neither one is sinful. And he starts out this, uh, these, this passage that we look at today by saying, hey, look, whatever you're, you're doing, married or single, whatever situation you're in, it's okay. Stick in that situation. Nobody is wrong. But then he says something that may seem a little bit odd, but he, in talking about the married, he says, but such people will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. Now, that seems kind of odd, but Paul knows that there are some some struggles maybe that's not a good word but we're going to use that word there are some some struggles that come along with marriage there are some extra burdens that are added to your life. Now, there are many gifts that come along with marriage too, but Paul points out some of those struggles in the verses to come, and so we will talk about that in just a minute. But, but that's what he's talking about here when he says, look, but such people will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. Well, we'll, we'll dig a little deeper into that in the verses to come. But then he kind of shifts gears uh, to the verses that I think are, are, are maybe the most important of this passage, at least the ones that kind of jump out to me uh, in these verses to come, starting in verse 29. And I say this, brothers, the time is limited, so from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For this world in its current form is passing away. So that's kind of some weird language, right? He says, those who had wives as though they had none. So what is he saying? Is he saying, uh, all right, if you're a husband and you've got a wife, or if you're a wife and you've got a husband, then you need to just forget about them and just go on with your life and do stuff for the Lord and leave them uh, behind. Just, just live like you don't even have a wife. Well, that seems kind of contradictory to what he said earlier on in the chapter when he's talking about that men and women need to, need to fulfill their duties as husband and wife and be there for husband and wife. And that just doesn't seem biblical at all that Paul would say just abandon your wife and don't even act like you have her anymore. So I don't think that that's what Paul is saying here, even though the wording may lead us to believe that. He goes on to say uh, a little further on, those who weep as though they did not weep and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. 
Well, again, these verses may seem kind of contradictory. Perhaps uh, if you've read in Romans chapter uh, 12, verse 15, it says, Weep with those who are weeping and rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Well, these verses seem to kind of be just the opposite of that. So what do we make of these verses? Uh, It's kind of hard for us to understand, at least in this language. Now, uh, these verses that I just read for you in, in the King James Version, which I think are pretty similar to this, are probably the most literal translation, or at least closer to literal, but but it is a little confusing in the essence to what I believe Paul is saying to us. So I want to read these same verses to you in the New Living Translation, which I believe capture the essence and the point and the meaning of exactly what Paul was saying. These are the same verses from the New Living Translation. But let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, the time that remains is very short. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed with their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them, for this world as we know it will soon pass away. Now, to me, that's a little, a little easier to understand, and I believe that that's exactly what Paul was talking about here. It wouldn't make sense to say that Paul was saying we need to abandon our wife and we don't need to... I don't think that that's what Paul is saying all because that, at all because that would be contradictory. But the last part of verse 31 gives us an idea. It helps us to kind of understand the point of what Paul is talking about. And he's talking about worldliness. He's saying at the beginning the time is short and then at the close of this, this part of the passage he says, look, don't get too caught up in the world because the world is passing away. And so I think that the New Living Translation gives us exactly the intent of what Paul is saying here. He's saying don't get too caught up, don't get too involved, don't get too attached to things of this world. That is, if you have a husband or or a wife, don't let your husband and wife stand in the way of you doing the work of the Lord. Remember, he said the time is short. The time is short. We have a work to do as a Christian. Is it good to have a husband and wife? Is it a blessing from the Lord? Absolutely. It is a wonderful blessing. Should we love our husbands and wives and be there for them? Absolutely. That is biblical. That That is what we are called to do. But Paul says, don't let things, whether it be a husband and a wife or whether whether it be weeping or whether it be rejoicing, don't get too caught up in any of these things. If you're having a hard time, if you're weeping about something, don't let that just to consume you to the point where you just give up and you don't do the things that you need to do for the Lord in life. Maybe you're doing good, you're blessed, you're just rejoicing in the Lord, praise the Lord for that. But don't get so caught up in your rejoicing that you lose sight of what you should be doing. Has God blessed you? Are you doing well with the world? Is things going good in a worldly sense? Praise God for that. That's good. Good things come from the Lord. He blesses us. That's great. But he says don't get attached to the world in a way that you are more focused on the world or focused on all these other things than you are on the Lord. And he reminds us at the end of the passage, look, this world is passing away. Now he's dealing with marriage here, but in a sense as Christians, he's pointing out a truth that we all need to recognize. That is that time is short. That is that we only have a short time to do the Lord's work on this world. It could be the time is short because Jesus Christ is going to return soon. He could return soon. He could not. I don't know when he will return. But whether he returns within the next two years or whether he returns in a million years, I know this, we're not going to be here in a million years. Our time is short. We only have very few years on this earth. 
boy, if we're lucky, if we're blessed, we might get 70, 80, 90 years for most of us. Sometimes people get 100 years. That's pretty <coughs> unbelievable. But, but, but for most people, I don't know what the average age of death is, but I would say probably 70, 80 years. If you make it to 80, that's pretty good. You've seen a lot of stuff in your life. And that seems like a long time, right? When you're a kid and you see somebody that's 80, you think, wow, that is so old. But then the older you get, you realize that's not that old. If you're out here and you're over 80, I'm not making fun of you because I'm, I'm just going to be quiet. But look, when you're young, you think that, that 80 years is a long time. But after you've lived 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years, you realize, boy, it goes by quick, right? I talk to people all the time that are older than I. They're not old. They're just older than me. And they say, boy, the years they pass by. You better enjoy them while you can because one minute you're... You're young, and the next minute you wake up, you can't do the stuff you want to do. You can't do what you used to do. Time passes by so quick. And that's what Paul, I believe, is pointing out to the people. He says, look, time is short. Now, he may be meaning that the Lord will return, or he may be meaning, look, we don't have a lot of time on this earth. We need to do the Lord's work while we can. So therefore, marriage is good. Singleness is good. Things that God blesses us with are often good. But there should never be anything that takes priority over the Lord. And so in the battle of marriage versus singleness, who wins? Well, the Lord should win. The Lord should be the winner of that battle. The Lord should trump everything in our life. We should love our wives and husbands. We should love our children. We should love our friends. We should love those people greatly. But none of those things should trump our love for the Lord. Verse 32. I want you to be without concerns. An unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, so that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the things of the world how she may please her husband. Now I am saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but because of what is proper, and so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. So here Paul's talking about what we just said, that in this battle of marriage and singleness that seems like maybe has gone on in the text, Paul is pointing out as, look, what is key is that we are to be devoted to the Lord. Now, we looked at those verses earlier, and Paul says, look, I'm telling you these things uh, to spare you for your own benefit because it, it's tough when people get married. And here he explains a little more. He kind of expounds on what he is talking about. He says it's good for a man and for a woman to remain unmarried. Why? He says because those who are unmarried are concerned about the Lord. There's not as many distractions. There's not as many things uh, pulling at them that are going to keep them from serving the Lord. So he says that there is some benefit there. Now that's kind of countercultural, uh, at least to some of us, to some people. Uh, a lot of times, culture, at least some cultures, put a very high view on marriage. And many people who I've come across in my life, uh, some of them put a very high view on whether or not a pastor is married. Uh, they, they believe that a pastor should be married. But Paul would say just the opposite in these verses. 
He would say just the opposite, that a man is going to be more focused on the Lord and doing the Lord's work and serving the Lord if he is single. That a woman is going to be more focused on the Lord and doing the Lord's work if they are single. Paul says, look, when you get married, there are a lot of things that fight for your attention. When you get married, if you have a wife, you, you, your, your, your thoughts may be on her and on doing good by her and on doing right by her and on taking care of her. And if you have a husband, your thoughts may be, be, uh, may be on doing right by him and doing for him. And that competes for your attention, for your time that you could be giving to the Lord. Now, Paul, again, does not say that married people are evil. That's not what he's saying. But he's just pointing out a fact. And that is that when you get married, uh, you have less time maybe than when you were single. In a most basic sense, when you get married, uh, when you're single, say, uh, all right, you've got all these things that are on your side of the family. You've got birthdays and events. Well, as soon as you get married, those events double. That's not a bad thing. But on a, in, a, in a practical sense, a very simple sense, at the very least, uh, your time is divided because you may have twice as many things to attend, twice as many birthdays, twice as many weddings, twice as many funerals. Uh, when you become married, uh, your decision-making is not just on you because your decisions <coughs> affect someone else now. So you can't just decide, I want to go do this, or I want to go do this, or I want to spend that money, or I want to spend that money, or I want to be here, or I want to be here, because you're not just living for you anymore. You're living with somebody else in mind. And so, as a married couple, you have to keep those things in mind. You have to discuss those things as a couple. And so those things consume some of your thought process. As a single man or woman, you could just do whatever you wanted to and never had to keep anyone else's interest in mind. But as a married man and woman, you have to keep the other one's interest in mind. And I will tell you, if you don't, then it's probably not going to lead to a good marriage. And so Paul is right. There are different things that come about in a marriage. It doesn't mean that marriage is bad. It doesn't mean that all those things that come about are evil or bad or, or anything like that. It just is a simple fact of life that when you get married, there may be other things that come and pull you away from the Lord, especially when you have children. If you get married and have children, that adds another element to the mix. That's another set of things that you may have to do. Perhaps it's going to ball practice or dance recitals or whatever it may be that you do. And these things that come along with married life, while they are a blessing, children are a blessing, what Paul is saying is that these are things that may can pull you away from the Lord. And so Paul is saying, look, what I think, here's my opinion, is I think that it may be better for you to remain single if you can. But if you can't, Praise the Lord. He says, go ahead and get married. And he's kind of, he's kind of had that same thought process through these chapters. And he's, he's kind of reiterating that in the closing part of this chapter. And he's not saying that one is wrong or one is right. So don't leave out here saying, well, Brother Shannon said we shouldn't get married. It's just going to pull us away from the Lord. Well, in a sense, it may distract us from serving the Lord in the way we should. But boy, there's still a lot of good that comes from marriage. And so Paul is saying, look... Just be aware of these things. He's just trying to make the people of Corinth aware. Marriage uh, was a problem. It was something that was, that was going on there that they were dealing with, what they should do, what they shouldn't do, stay married, get divorced, stay single, get married. And Paul is just kind of pointing out to them what the Scripture says as well as pointing out some of his own opinions on the deal. Verse 36, But if any man thinks he is acting improperly toward his virgin, if she is past marriageable age, and so it must be, he can do what he wants. He is not sinning. They can get married. But he who stands firm in his heart, who is under no compulsion, 
but has control over his own will and has decided in his heart to keep his own virgin will do well. So when he who marries his virgin, excuse me, so then he who marries his virgin does well, but he who does not marry will do better. Now this is kind of a this is kind of a tough little section of scripture to to interpret and understand exactly what is being talked about here. Now, depending on your translation that you read it from, it may kind of put, uh, put an emphasis or try to kind of push you in one direction or the other. There are two main schools of thought uh, of which way this text could go. When it talks about uh, the virgin here, one is that this passage talks about, it is talking about parents. That is, it is implying that a father is giving away his daughter. Now, depending on the translation you read, it may say that. It may say that a father is giving away his daughter. Well, in, in, in a literal sense, that's not what the text says. And so there are some translations that, that kind of stick in a neutral sense. They just kind of lay it out literally uh, and leads you to wonder, okay, well, what's exactly being talked about? There are some translations that say, okay, these verses are for sure talking about a, a father and a daughter, while there are other translations who say, oh, well, these verses are for sure talking, are talking about a groom and his wife-to-be. Uh, I, I typically prefer to lean toward those neutral translations and let us just kind of figure out and pray through it and kind of figure out what God leads us to believe. But which one is true? Uh, could they both be true? Well, I guess it could both be true, but which one uh, is most accurate? Well, I cannot give you an answer to that because I don't know. There are people who are much smarter than me who have debated this for many more years than I have been alive, so I can't tell you for sure this is exactly what Paul means. But I'll tell you what I think, and I may be wrong, but I believe that the verses are talking about a husband and a wife that are to be married. Because if not, those verses at the end that talk about, so then he who marries his virgin does well, but he who does not marry does better. Well, it appears as though the person that's being talked about here is going to eventually marry his virgin. If it was the father and the daughter, then th those closing verses wouldn't make too much sense. But what Paul is saying here, look, but if any man thinks he is acting in a, a, improperly toward his virgin, if she is past a marriageable age, and so it must be, he can do what he wants. He is not sinning. They can get married. Now, when I read those verses, I am reminding, uh, reminded of the verses earlier where Paul told us, he says, look, if you can stay single, be single. But if you are just burned up with passion, it's better to get married. And I believe that that's kind of the same tone, the same sense that Paul is saying here. Look, if a man and a woman are together, and the woman is of a marriageable age, if she's to a point to where she can be married, and you, you're burning with passion, and, you, and there's that temptation to act improperly and do things that you shouldn't do, then I believe what Paul is saying, that it's better for that couple to get married. It's better to get married than to act improperly and to sin against one another. Paul is saying, there's nothing wrong with that. If you're burned up with passion and that's the desire in which you need to get married to keep from sinning, Paul says earlier there's nothing wrong with that, and I believe he is reiterating that same thing in these verses here. Look, it's better to get married. It's not wrong. Go for it. He said, I think it's better to get single, but he says, I know there's sometimes it is better for people to get married as well. But he who stands firm in his heart, he who is under no compulsion but has self-control over his own will and has decided in his heart to keep his own virgin will do well. So then he who marries his virgin does well, but he who does not marry does better. 
Well, again, this is very similar to the same kind of train of thought that Paul has used to this point. He says, look, I know that some people need to get married. I know that it's for their own good. But he said there are some that are going to have self-control, that are going to be able to control their desires. And he says, look, if the one that needs to get married gets married, they do well by getting married. But he kind of restates the same point that he just made. But he says, I think it's better if you don't get married. Why? Because he pointed out there's, there's not those distractions that come along with marriage if you remain single. So we, we, we get Paul's view on this. We get Paul's opinion. He has been very vocal about this and uh, even told us what his opinion is. So we understand what Paul is saying in these verses. Then he, he shifts gears just a little bit in verse 39. A wife is bound as long as her husband is living. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to anyone she wants, only in the Lord. So Paul is kind of shifting gears here. Perhaps in this that they wrote to Paul about that we saw at the beginning of chapter 7, perhaps this was one of the questions they asked. Perhaps this is one of the things that they were trying to figure out. Okay, so if a woman loses her husband, is it okay for her to remarry? And Paul says yes. If she loses her husband, if her husband passes away, or if a wife passes away, then it is okay for one spouse to remarry. But he does say only in the Lord. Only in the Lord, only to another Christian, I believe, is what he's saying there. And that's, that's pretty common to what we see in Scripture. We, uh, the Scripture that says we should not be unequally yoked, that is, that we should not marry an unbeliever, that believers should marry believers, so uh, that the unbeliever may not pull the believer away from the Lord. And so when Paul says, look, it's okay for a woman to marry here, but only in the Lord, I believe what Paul is saying here. Yes, it's okay for a woman to get married if she's a Christian, though she needs to marry another Christian. And then he closes in verse 40. But she is happier if she remains as she is, in my opinion. And I think that I also have the Spirit of God. So Paul is saying, look, is it okay for, for someone to remarry after losing a spouse? Absolutely. But he says, personally, I think she should just stay married. He says, look, I think I've got the Spirit of the Lord. I think I'm speaking spiritually here. And he says, I think it'd be better if, if, if she just stayed single. And, and both are okay. And, and, and we probably all know people that have maybe lost a spouse and gotten remarried, and that's okay. I know plenty of people who have lost a spouse, and they say, you know what, I'm never going to marry anybody else. That was the love of my life, and I'm just, I'm content as could be. I have no desire to marry anybody else. And both of those things are okay. Whether we're married, whether we're single, both of those things are okay. But what is most important, what Paul pointed out in, in kind of the midst of this text, is what, what the real, the, the significance of these verses, the importance of these verses, is that nothing should trump our relationship with the Lord. Our time is short. Whether we remain single, whether we have been married for 50 years, we need to make sure not only is our relationship with our spouse in good shape, but is our relationship with the Lord suffering because of our whether it's marriage or whether it's singleness, is there something else that's fighting for our attention? Is there, some, is there something else that's drawing us away from the Lord? Is it, is it, is it weeping? Is it rejoicing? Is it worldly uh, desires and things that we have? Is there something else that, can, that is competing with our, for our attention with the Lord? Because what Paul says is most important is that we serve the Lord without distraction. What are the distractions in your life? We all have some distractions probably to try to creep in there, some things that, that try to compete for our attention. 
And whatever those things are, Paul is saying in these verses, look, don't let any of your outward uh, distractions detract from your service of the Lord. The time is short. And we need to be living for Jesus Christ. There are many, many distractions in this world today. I get it. I fight them all the time. There are all kind of things that are competing for our attention. But Jesus is worthy of our attention. Jesus gave his life on a cross. He suffered and died and bled for us. He was beaten and mocked and he gave his life so that we could be forgiven. What is there on earth that, that, that demands our attention more so than the Son of God giving his life for us? Well, there shouldn't be anything. But sometimes we kind of push Jesus to the back. Our relationship with Jesus is not what it should be. Perhaps there are some of you that have no relationship with Jesus. And we've allowed other people or other things to take priority in our life. And Paul is saying, look, Jesus needs to take priority in your life. God gives you blessings. God gives you spouses. God gives you worldly things. That's great. But those things should never take priority over Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I pray for this group that's here today. I thank you for these words. And God, we thank you for the gift of marriage. I know these last couple of weeks it may seem like just kind of some hard preaching for, for married people, dear Lord. It may seem like Paul's kind of negative uh, toward marriage. But dear Lord, we know that there are so many gifts and so many blessings that come along with marriage, and we thank you for that. And God, we thank you for the gift of singleness. Help us not to make single people feel bad, God. Maybe sometimes in our society, in our culture, we kind of maybe feel singles feel like they're shunned, like they're, they're, they're lesser. But dear Lord, your word today says just the opposite. Paul has just the opposite opinion. So God, whether we're single, whether we're married, whether we know single people or married people, dear Lord, uh, we're all on the same mission together. And our, our, our desire is to serve you. Our desire is not to be distracted by the world or by things of the world, God. And we, we thank you for blessing us. We thank you for a beautiful building. We thank you for air conditioning and, and vehicles that we can ride to church in. And we thank you for good food that we get to eat. All those things are good, dear Lord, but help us never to to focus on the good things that you give us and, and forget about you, God, that, that gives them to us. So, dear Lord God, help us just to all be on mission. Help us to keep you as our priority. God, maybe there are some in this place today that have never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Maybe there are some today that realize that there are lots of other things in their life that, that they have made gods in their life. Maybe it's their spouse. Maybe it's their children. Maybe it's their job. Maybe it's their bank account. Maybe it's a million things it could be, dear Lord, that they have placed as God in their life. But I pray today that the Holy Spirit would touch them, that they would know that Jesus Christ needs to be at the center of their life. That it's Jesus Christ who can offer them forgiveness, that can offer them freedom from the burden of the sin and all the stresses that come along with the world, dear Lord. So God, I pray that if there are any here today that haven't made Jesus Christ first and made him their Lord, made him their Lord and Savior, that they would. God, I pray that maybe there are some Christians that just need to Re rewrite their priority list. God, we, we know intellectually as Christians that Jesus should be at the top of our list, but sometimes we begin to put other things on that list ahead of it. So God, if there are some here today that need to reorder their list, help them to put Jesus where he needs to be and kind of put everything else down where it needs to be. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.